welcome, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Sacred Cinema with me, your host Jimmy Berners-Cohen here on Two Double X, ninety-eight point three FM, people-powered radio. This week's topic is listening to your conscience. your conscience speaking. How are you? We haven't spoken in a while. Um, still feel bad about that thing you did? No, I'm just joking. This is me, Jimmy Bernasconi, the host of Sacred Cinema, as I said a couple of minutes ago. This week, we're looking at listening to your conscience. Why? Uh, well, last week, we talked about mean girls. And we got into this territory about sort of indulging undesirable personas. And I, and I figured, I'd, I'd never seen the movie um, Heathers, d- directed by Michael Lehman from 1988, which uh, is massive influence on Mean Girls, and I thought it was worth talking about, and I realised that sort of lifts up a lot of very similar themes, and it was obviously a massive influence on Mean Girls, um, and I was particularly drawn towards the Christian Slater character, JD, and, and I sort of, I know this is not necessarily the way to view the film, but I saw immense, sort of this personification of Veronica, the Winona Ryder character, sort of the, the bad side of her conscience, and I was like, that's a really interesting idea, looking at films that have characters that are kind of like the personification of the given protagonist's conscience. So we're going to be chatting, uh, firstly, uh, the 2022 uh, version of Pinocchio, uh, Pinocchio, I mean, uh, by Guillermo del Toro, not the one from Robert Zemeckis. We're then going to move on to Heathers, and then we're going to finish off with Richard Kelly's 2001 absolute belter, Donnie Darko. But let's kick things off to begin with, with the 2022 version of Pinocchio. So as I mentioned uh, a second ago, this is the one directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, and just first things first, you can say what you want about the story or the script uh, or the, the voice acting or what have you. But this is an absolute piece of art uh, in terms of what you're looking at. Uh, as fans of the show would know that I love stop motion. I will uh, go into bat for it every day of the week. Uh, and this one's probably just worth watching just for the artistry of it. Personally, I thought some of the dialogue and the and the, the story itself was... Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I guess I could watch it again and, and, and reanalyze it. Um, I had some questions around some of the, the story choices and things like that, but I, it is a beautiful-looking film. All of Guillermo del Toro's films are very beautiful. We're actually not going to talk about the film itself, uh, the, this, the modern version of itself of this film, uh, right away. We're going to start with... Uh, we're just going to briefly talk about the, the origins of the character Jiminy Cricket um, because that's the depiction of the, the conscience in the Pinocchio, uh, in the Pinocchio franchise. Um, and that's sort of what we're going to focus on in today's conversation. So uh, if you haven't seen the original 1940 film of Pinocchio, uh, Pinocchio's conscience um, is played by an actual character. Uh, well, if you go onto Wikipedia and you look in, uh, look up Jiminy Cricket, um, it literally says occupation, uh, colon, conscience, which is I thought was pretty funny. Uh, and also, I never realized this, but Jiminy Cricket, the initials JC, were apparently um, deliberately meant to mimic uh, the, you know, the the initials of Jesus Christ, which would make sense because if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ is kind of the depiction of um, your conscience, I suppose. Or when you think about your conscience, it's, it's God speaking to you, that sort of thing. Um, now, there's a couple of aspects of the Jiminy Cricket character that were pretty monumental, not only in the history of um, filmmaking, but in just storytelling, Western storytelling in general. It's just basically that you could make an argument that the character of Jiminy Cricket is maybe one of the most important characters ever in the history of, of Western arts, as I sort of mentioned. Um, kind of, you could argue that it, it sort of gave us the vocabulary as a human race, um, or, or just like a very vivid concept of what the conscience 
actually is. So it's not the concept of right and wrong necessarily. It's this entity that we kind of, you know, that we sort of conceive that's within us, that sort of speaks to us. It's not part of us or it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's inside us. It lives literally in um, the new Pinocchio. It lives in Pinocchio's heart. It lives in there, but it's not like your arm or your leg. It's, it's almost like a separate entity. It's an, you could call it an external entity. Um, and specifically um, in the Pinocchio films, it's a very elegant, um, well, because it's a cricket, it's an anthropomorphic um or, uh, or like a, uh, like a, I don't know the difference necessarily in this case of whether it's anthropomorphic or personified, but it's it's like a human-like or anthropomorphic entity. So it's not just this ghost that's you shouldn't do. It's it's like a guy that walks around on legs and he's like you shouldn't do this thing because X, Y, and Z. So that this is a very influential archetype that has run through absolutely permeated the culture for many decades. So it's definitely something that we should take notice of now. Why I specifically want to talk about the new film um, after I watch it is because they, they actually make some choices to make the Jiminy Cricket character a little bit different to the one in the 1940 film. There are some similarities. So he still you know, retains his elegance. He's a novel. He's voiced by Ewan McGregor and he's like a novelist. and He's like an intelligent guy. And he, again, because he's a cricket, he still has that sort of external quality. He's not actually part of Pinocchio, even though he lives within his heart. Um, some of the differences, first of all, not called Jiminy Cricket, just called, it's, I think called Sebastian J. Cricket. So I don't know if it was intentional that the, the Jesus Christ element was removed, but that has been removed. Uh, either by coincidence or not. But there's another element of it that I think is really interesting um, is that uh, I also want to quickly mention that he's a little bit flawed. Like he's a bit proud at the beginning of the film. Like he's really interested in like fame and fortune. Uh, and that's going to be have a little bit of relevance in a moment when I get into his actual character. But there's an also, just in terms of the plot of the film, he's absent for, for a lot of the film. Like while he is the narrator and sort of has that kind of omnipotence uh, that you'd want from your conscience, like that Jesus Christ has, for example. Um, and so he's the narrator. He sort of sees everything and is everywhere as well. Um, so he's ob- omnipresent as well. Um, he, he's absent. He's not actually with Pinocchio for the most part of this film. He's not actually guiding Pinocchio in the most part of this film. And, and it was interesting. I went and watched the behind the scenes little short video about the film. Uh, I feel a bit naughty doing that because I like to keep these to my original takes, but I just I was curious and I watched it. It's interesting. Del Toro actually says that what he, he deliberately made a choice that Pinocchio is accepted for who he is and all his flaws and failings and that it's the world around him. It's the people around him that are inspired by him. So it's not a story, as you would know, the archetypal Pinocchio stories about, you know, about maturation and and becoming a real human being and and going into the belly of the beast and saving your father and your friends and by sacrificing yourself and by being a good boy and by not lying, that's how you become a better person. Um, Interestingly, in this film, it's it's sort of the onus isn't or the burden isn't really like on him as an individual to like... um, align himself with the norms of the day. It's rather that his purity is the thing that makes everyone around him better. So it's a very 2022 film in that sense, if you think about the idea of you know, acceptance for who people are. People have rigid personalities. Um, by by accepting people for who they are, uh, we can learn about ourselves. And for some reason, we're supposed to change, but children aren't. I don't know. It's a very pro-child, children are smarter than adults kind of. <laughs> I don't want to get into it. But I don't know. It's an allegory for like a Greta Thunberg kind of figure. I don't I don't know, but anyway, um, I'll leave that there. But but 
we we're still contain we're um uh, we're still carrying on this idea of of um these uh characters particularly Pinocchio and and the cricket character being separate entities but this film really doubles down on that and and sort of pretty much stretches out this idea that that the conscience um is a separate force a separate sense a separate entity uh, in so far at that that the, the 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 actual person the subject um Pinocchio in this case actually um, has another sense or another force within them that gives them a sense of right and wrong, a sort of without their conscience, or maybe it's like a deeper sense of conscience, a deeper sense of conscience, like 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 you, you've got your one that's really at your core and then you've got the Jiminy Cricket influence as well. Um, so it, it's kind of, you, gotta, you do sort of wonder, you know, where Pinocchio, how Pinocchio is actually in this film, actually able to decipher what is the right and wrong thing to do, where, where that force comes from. Um, it, it sort of depicts him or depicts human beings as people who can actually function, um, and not only function in terms of like walking and, and breathing and drinking, but in terms of like overcoming moral obstacles, potentially without, uh, uh, not only without a consci- conscience, but, but potentially doing that better without a conscience, if that makes sense. Uh, and there's actually a joke at the end of the film uh, where uh, the cricket character actually makes a joke about how bad he was or that he didn't actually do a good job in guiding Pinocchio. Um, and if we think about that today in, in today's world, I think that's sort of got a lot of, re- that'll have a lot of resonance. I mean, if you think about this sort of, the, the, our obsession with, um, particularly in like millennial culture, but like like self-consciousness um, and particularly like social conditioning and like this idea of like self-care and like all oh, the world and the systems are, are you know, are there and, and they put too much pressure on you and, and all that that sense of guilt and sense of self-consciousness uh, and all your insecurities are things that you should fight against and ignore and if you do feel like you know eating that piece of cake you do it you know you 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 do you this sort of concept of, I think you do you is a good phrase for that it's like you know don't don't listen to that voice uh, that's constantly putting pressure on you do what feels comfortable do what makes you feel safe uh, and I'll leave that like I'm not going to say that that's neither here nor there for the purpose of today's conversation but I think it does it is interesting to say how this this concept of the conscious has sort of shifted and like what its actual role or better yet what its actual importance is and if we want to look back historically as well I, I guess you could say that if you look through the history of like bad guys in, in history we can't ever be certain that they were going against their conscience in a way maybe this is a much needed um, point to be made if you think about someone like Hitler or dare I say Mussolini who's a literal character in the Pinocchio uh, film and, and perhaps this is why you could say that those people were like do we do we really think that all the bad people in the world were deliberately going against their conscience when they did everything like like that they knew what they were doing was wrong but they still did it anyway i mean that does happen from time to time like i know i shouldn't eat you know an extra biscuit and then i do it feel bad but like we, we do when we did that film um the conference many months ago and we've talked about this a lot unpack this idea of you know the road to hell being paved with with good intentions a lot on the show I, I mean personally I don't really believe that every time a bad thing happens it's because the person knew it was bad and they deliberately did a bad thing I think a lot of the time people especially in those ends justifying the means com- um, conversations people simply don't know what the right thing to do is their conscience is a bit futile or at least sometimes your conscience will tell you to do something you genuinely think it's the right thing to do you know if you think about politics today I think both sides of the political aisle actually think that they're doing the right thing and they're advocating for the right person and that the other team is the idiot uh, and who are we to know which side is actually right at the end of the day um, I think sometimes we have to remember that our conscience isn't like a perfect uh, means through which we can know well, of course it's not a perfect uh, means through which we can know what right and wrong is because you know we're mere mortals and that's not something that we are privy to so this 
raises a very interesting question. Can the conscience actually be a bad thing? Can it lead us down the bad path uh, in life? And before we tackle the next film, um, just remind you, I listen to 2XX98.3 FM here on the people-powered radio station in Canberra. I'm your host, Jimmy Bernasconi, here on Sacred Cinema. Be sure to stay tuned for more quality radio programming here on 2XX. And please consider subscribing or sponsoring the show, or subscribing to the station or sponsoring the show um, if you are able to jump onto the internet and get some online access. But moving on now to uh, the 1988 film directed by Michael Lehman, Heathers. And pretty much this film stars Winona Ryder. She plays Veronica and she's got three friends all named Heather, which is like a funny kind of joke about like all popular girls in the 80s were called Heather or had names like that. And basically they're really mean to her, but she wants to be their friend. And she's a very intelligent girl and she's kind of frustrated with the fact that she actually cares about being popular and that that's something that she ought to do. And then there's this kind of dark and stormy kind of Charlie Sheen in Ferris Bueller's Day Out looking guy called JD, not JC, JD, um, at the back of the cafeteria played by Christian Slater and she is quite attracted to him. She thinks he's really cool and he basically encourages her to pretty much like sabotage all the cool people in, in school, including some of the Heathers and some of these boys that are really horrible. And for the most part of this film, we kind of feel like we want them to win because the Heathers are kind of horrible and the boys that she sabotages are also ho- ho- um, horrible. Um, and also, like, I think JD is a kind of compelling guy and he's quite seductive. I mean, literally, um, Veronica actually does fall in love with him and, they, you know, they become boyfriend friend and girlfriend, that sort of thing. Um, but he ends up being ultimately a pretty bad influence on her and the world around her. And he's kind of got a bit of a joker aspect to him. I think he would have made a really good joker, by the way. I've got to stop talking about that movie now. Um, but I, I wanted to just make a quick point here that unlike Jiminy Cricket, for example, these these um, concepts of indulgence or compulsion um, or, or seduction um, are attributed. You can attribute those to JD, whereas you couldn't attribute those to uh, Jiminy Cricket. Um, you, you can attribute them to JD, but not JC. Um, which sort of lifts up this idea that there's maybe two halves to the conscience. There's a good conscience, like there's the angel on the shoulder, and then there's the devil, the devil on the other side of the shoulder, which you see in things like The Simpsons and cartoons and things like that, and that JD would be like the devil on your shoulder. Um, and that he's, it's funny, because the one that you shouldn't listen to is much more seductive, much more compelling, um, and, 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 and kind of easier to listen to. And, 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 and this gets back at that sort of dark night, figure that we're talking about a couple of last couple of weeks which is ideas that sometimes we hate the thing that we know that we should listen to sometimes we pretend that we hate something that we know is actually right and is putting the right kind of pressure on us um and but the the, the good kind of um conscious is is not personified at least or is uh, not present or at least not personified in this film and so pretty much just veronica's journey in this film is about becoming comfortable in her own skin as an individual and not being a member of a club and being able to be friends with who she wants to be friends with but that does require her to kill jay D, right? Because it, 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 you know, as we as we sort of talked about last week when we talked about Mean Girls, it's not enough just to bring other people down. You actually have to work on yourself. And as annoying as those other girls are, JD is a, is actually a bad force. He's a horrible force. He's a vengeful force. And that's not the way to make yourself a better person. Just by sabotaging other people, that doesn't make you a better person. You see, you can see so many ways this film influenced Mean Girls down to very very fine details. So basically, we, we get to this point after watching a film like uh, Heather's, uh, which gives us uh, the, reinforces the idea that the conscience um, is is bad, or at least could be bad, or, or at least maybe we should doubt it sometimes. Like like we, it does sort of raise this question: when when is, when we've got that little little guy on our shoulder, when do we listen to him, and, and how do we know which one's the good one and which one's the bad one? How do we know when to listen and when not to? Well, to solve that dilemma, I think it's worth talking about one of the most 
downright confusing films of all time. Uh, the third film that we're going to talk about this week, and that would be Donnie Darko from 2001, directed by Richard Kelly. And uh, this was the... I watched, I've seen this movie a couple of years ago. Um, this is the second time I've ever watched it. And it's so weird, because the first time I watched it, and I'm sure you can relate to this, first time I watched it, I, I enjoyed it, but I, I don't think I got it at all, or I, I don't think you can get a film like this in a, in a way, but I was, I was kind of like, okay, I like it, but I'm not sure if it's going to do anything for me. And then the second time I watched it, I just utterly blown away. I don't know what happened in my life that's changed me. And it's just another really good example of how you can consume a piece of art or creative work in one point in your life, and and how important context is in in terms of where how the deal the degree to which it, uh, you know it, it you know resonates with you. And I just like I was on the verge of tears watching it this time. Like I just found the film so overwhelmingly powerful, and I can see why it has this cult status because I like, I can see if you if you do identify with the dilemmas that Donny faces in this film um, and that sort of thing, uh, and particularly his relationships with other people. This is a really heavy watch um, so it's an interesting film to go back to and I, and I really did sort of fall in love with the characters uh, watching it the second time there's three main elements I want to focus on this week, particularly in regards to this question around the conscience. The first one is the sort of baseline atmosphere that we have. And I know the film came out in 2001, but it certainly has this very 1990s existential, um, suicidal, depressive, absurdist atmosphere. You know, this is the, you know, this is the era of, of Nirvana and Kurt Cobain and that sort of thing. And there's definitely an, an awe of that throughout. Um, I mean, the obvious one is when he's talking to his psychiatrist and he's talking about whether he debates feeling alone and that sort of thing. And, and, that's sort of a, a code for whether he believes in God or not. He talks about being caught in two places, and he, he says he's he's given up debating it because he's just going to get confused. And I'm sure we can all relate to that. We've, I think, I imagine we're all going through the same dilemmas every day about whether we believe in something or not, and getting caught in between those two things. Uh, and also at the start of the film, I think tying nicely into that is, I mean, the opening dinner scene with the family is about politics and who they should vote for, and th that's another sort of situation where we often find ourselves going, well, I don't, it's so complicated. I don't know who to vote for, and, and, and not knowing who to vote for. And politics is really a question about what do you believe in what do you care about what are your morals what are your values so these are deep philosophical questions that that really you know wear us down um uh, and also, sorry, I didn't mention also when he sees the psychiatrist, he talks about the you know the idea that every living thing will eventually die, and if that's the case, then the whole thing is absurd, and God couldn't possibly exist. So very existential. Uh, I mean, in the the famous song, the the Mad World song, they even have a line which is I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. Uh, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were talking about uh, I think it was in the Kafka week or which week we were talking about like absurdism and 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 um, you know the world either being a funny place for those who think or, or, or it might have been. We're talking about. I can't remember which one we're talking about, but you know, the, you know that that old adage about the world being a funny place for people who think and a tragic place for those who feel, uh, and and then that sort of underpinning absurdity and that sort of thing. And then and also you have this character of uh, Grandma Death, who I suppose is kind of like Donnie's future in a way. The, the way that the that the existential burdens of uh, of the world and reality can wear you down and make you a withered old decrepit person who is is you know sort of waiting for godo kind of thing and she keeps going to that that mailbox so that's the first thing and so when we start with that is that if that's our baseline if that's our springboard it does sort of bring up the question of well what do we do how do we how do we navigate this world this, this crazy world well um this is where the character of frank who is in, in my view, the personification of uh, Donnie's conscience or an aspect of his conscience uh, comes into play. And, and Frank is this big uh, bunny rabbit, which is kind of in really interesting choice. It's kind of playful. It's kind of childish, but he's also kind of scary and freaky and you know, a bit like an alien and that sort of thing. So it, it, it's this very sort of quirky, um, horrific, yet 
it's sort of scary, but not quite scary. And that that's kind of what our conscience is in the in the de- in the in the dark depths of the night. It is kind of silly that we care about it. It is sort of absurd that we care about every little thing, but it also is existentialism is terrifying. It's probably the most terrifying thing in the world. Um, and again, similarly to JD and Heather's, this depiction of the conscience of the human conscience is very compelling and and donnie really has no choice in the matter when when frank tells him to do things and i should say at this point by the way people consider this film like a really important uh film about mental health specifically schizophrenia i've not read it that way at all uh i know that that is a way to read the film and all power to people that do that Uh, but for the purpose of today's episode we're not talking about it being um a question of 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 um schizophrenia and that sort of thing we're talking about on, on, on I suppose maybe a little bit of a, a more uh, street level um, sense um, so when he does listen to Frank right when he listens to his conscience he does really bad things but what he finds out is that in the long run a good thing happens as a result so when he floods the water uh, floods the school he finds out that that's the reason that 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 becomes um, uh, because he does that the consequence of that is that he gets to meet um, Gretchen who who becomes his girlfriend and he even has this in a line where it's like I'm glad the school got flooded that means I got to I got to meet you and later when he and when he lights um, Patrick Swayze's house on fire for example they find out that that Patrick Swayze was actually running a child pornography ring so it's this weird ends justifying the means thing again where do it when the conscience tells Tells you to do something that is capital B bad. There can be this sort of overarching good thing that happens as a result. So it's really hard to know when or when not to trust the conscience because I guess in one sense it tells you to do something. You could do something. Um, a good thing could come from. There's always going to be a cost. Now sometimes that cost is definitely worth it, but there is always going to be a cost to it, and it's a bit of a gamble knowing the degree to which you're willing to 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 um, take that cost. And later in the film we find that there's a massive cost to giving Frank full reign, let's say, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, So knowing that our actions do sort of have these immediate impacts on the world and are potentially profoundly good or profoundly bad, this is where I think that the whole time travel element of the film comes into it because it's a kind of weird curveball. Like I, it kind of doesn't feel like it fits into the film, but then when you start to think about it and the specific concept um, that they're talking about, or the, 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 the conception of time travel in this film, I think it's absolutely apt. So... The way that it's depicted is where these people, you can sort of see the trajectory that they're going in life. That weird like liquid thing comes out of their chest and you can kind of see where they're going. And all the while, Donnie is sort of taking these commands from Frank and then things are happening as a result. So I, I suppose one way you can read all that is that, that human beings, like by, by virtue of the nature of space and time, we actually can time travel in a way or at least manipulate the future in the present. Uh, rewatching it this time, it did remind me a lot of like a movie like Tenet. Uh, definitely, definitely Denis Villeneuve, um, his film Arrival, um, to a lesser extent, I guess, Interstellar, but but specifically Arrival. And the idea that forgetting, of, forgetting um, time, uh, not thinking about time as like this linear thing, or at least thinking, if you think about it in a linear way, thinking about that all moments are happening, I suppose this is the interstellar aspect of it, all moments kind of happening simultaneously on this sort of web or this network of moments. Like you're in a library and all the moments are sitting on the shelf. Yes, they go from left to right. But if you if you do something in this moment right now, it will have almost like this direct or immediate effect. Whatever you do right now, if you clap your hands or if you pick up a book in front of you or you throw a rock through a window, that will inevitably have some kind of impact 50, 60, 70 plus, 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 plus years down the future. You might not know what it is right now, but we do have this sort of direct and immediate relationship with 
the future in all moments of time. So it sort of creates this burden, right? Basically, every choice we make or every choice we have in front of us is going to in some way uh, affect people uh, in the future. Uh, another way of putting that, it's it's going to, um, and, and sorry, and it's going to affect people either in a positive or a negative way, as as the film explores. Particularly, the, the Swayze character is a really good one for that, where you know he he sort of um, essentially condemned by a, a bad act that Donnie does by burning down his house. So another way of putting that is that every time we every time we choose to do something, right, we are inevitably to some extent either saving or protecting or condemning someone in the future to some extent, to some degree. And I guess the, the level of profundity of our actions in the present as informed by our conscience is going to either save or condemn someone to some extent in the future, right? And and, and that's what, I think that's why they make that joke about the the, the, the love and fear thing because it, it's it, it's kind of like the absurdity of thinking that something's either an act of love or, or an act of fear. It, it, it's more so that like everything you do is going to, um, it's going to make someone feel loved, but someone else feel condemned, uh, right? It's going to have a multiplicity of impacts. And I suppose the, it, what really comes down to is is what combination of good and bad do you want to elicit in the future, um, right now in the present? Now, this makes it even all the more absurd because because how can you know when you've got this hundreds of th- hundreds and thousands vibe, this this kaleidoscopic, um, you know. A world in front of you where there's so many interconnected people and, and it's such a convoluted mess to deal with to know what what, the, the, what what we want to do what how we want to impact the future well I think to solve that problem the film gives us kind of this this anchor right um, I, I suppose another way of putting it is you've got to ask yourself well, of all the things that you could do of all the people that you could save I suppose another way of thinking about it is what's the thing that you would die for or who's the person that you would die for? And this brings us to the character of Gretchen, who I think is so central to this film. And the first time I didn't, uh, first time I watched, I didn't really pick up on that. She she represents this very quiet, softly spoken, dare I say, voiceless sufferer in the world. And and Donnie is actually a really quite sort of beautiful and heroic boyfriend to her throughout the film. They don't really have a fight at all, and I think that's really crucial that she sort of represents the person that we, we probably aren't thinking about right now that is is truly and utterly suffering, and and he's kind of the person we care about the most or ought to care about the most and so when everything gets on the line when everything comes um, down to it right and, and listening to these compulsions from frank and, and weighing up whether he or not weighing up whether he should or shouldn't but being at the mercy of frank but when we look at it through the, the gretchen's character we look at this film and, and 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 donnie's actions and how they relate to gretchen we realize that frank is kind of like this and we find out who frank actually is and i don't want to give away any spoilers or anything like that but frank is kind of like a bit of an absurd entity to really give a voice to right frank is just an everyday guy in a way his voice is as important as anyone else's and what what should really shape donnie's actions is protecting the people that he wants to protect the most be that his you know his mother his sister but also specifically gretchen who can't protect herself so if we want to weave everything together from this week right it's been a pretty complicated week but let's start it off with you know we talked about pinocchio we 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 understand that the the conscience is kind of it is this sort of external entity and and we kind of have this sense at least nowadays that maybe the those little voices in our head maybe we don't always need to listen to them or maybe there is something deeper that is in our conscience it's almost like a deeper uh, version of our conscience that we should listen to because and, and maybe our conscience actually is you know the Jiminy Cricket version of our conscience is something that's a little bit disposable and we looked at Heather's we thought well, well maybe double down that a little bit and say absolutely like there is a bad version of the conscience maybe it's the little devil in the shot or how, or how everyone wanted to depict it but there are there is a JC in the world but there's also a JD in the world and we want to make sure that we're ignoring and actually killing off the JD the JDs of the world but 
at the same time, we can't ignore the fact that a lot of the compulsions, uh, a, lot, a lot of the time, the, the compulsions that we hear from our conscience can lead to profoundly good impacts, even if, you know, there is sort of a, a, a shade of badness to them. You know, the, the, the Patrick Swayze's in Donnie Dark of the World need to be stopped, and sometimes that is by listening to our conscience, even if that conscience is sometimes riddled or, or, or polluted with an, 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 a level of malevolence. So... I suppose we need to remember that we will always hear voices and have random thoughts from time to time, but when it comes down to it, there's always going to be one singular core desire or ideal that we care about the most, or maybe it's a, a specific desire about a specific person that we care about the most. So maybe amongst all the noise, we need to listen out for that one singular call, and and, and perhaps we need to heed to it, uh, even if it does ultimately kill us, because at the end of the day... It is sort of what our lives ultimately depend on. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we've got this week for Sacred Cinema here on X 98.3 FM, People Powered Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more quality radio programming from 2XX and jump onto our website to consider subscribing to the station or sponsoring the show or any of 2XX's wonderful radio shows. Um, please get in contact with me as well. Any feedback, uh, any recommendations, any comments about the show would be very much uh, welcomed and we'll see you again next week.